0: Before we start this week, a quick warning. This programme contains the strongest possible language, accounts of drug-taking and mental health issues.
1: If you are uncomfortable with any of these topics, please stop listening now and choose a different episode. Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that defining moment when a story, any story, takes you in an unexpected direction.
0: I'm Tom, superhero buff and comedy lover.
1: And I'm Fran, reality TV obsessive and true crime enthusiast. And we're from Now TV.
0: And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favorite plot twists, both on and off screen.
1: So expect the unexpected and hopefully some behind the scenes nuggets that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. So, welcome back to another week of Plot Twist. How you doing, Tom?
0: I'm really good, and I am so excited for this week's episode. I cannot wait for this one.
1: Yeah, this week's guest was on the hit list for a long time to get on the show, wasn't it?
0: Right from the start. In fact, he kind of inspired Plot Twist, really.
1: I know, and we're going to hear more about that later. Um, but this guy has been in a whole heap of Incredible shows that you'll know. Mm. So This Is England, Misfits, Seth Rogen's The Preacher. And he's now back in series two of Brassic, the first series of which is on Now TV.
0: Yeah, Sky's most successful comedy. Great show, which he created and, of course, stars in.
1: So for anyone who hasn't seen Brassic, this is set in a northern working class town. Uh, and it's Joe Gilgan who plays Vinny. And he's this sort of petty thief. And he's got this group of friends. And it's really sort of a character-led uh, comedy just all around the shenanigans that they get up to in this small town. I mean, it features Shetland ponies, coy carps. I think in series two, there's a fairground lion. So, I mean, it covers all bases on sort of ridiculous situations. And Joe Gilgan is, as always, hilarious and complicated and loud and bold in the character that he plays.
0: Everything that he's brilliant at. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a sort of semi-autobiographical version of himself, isn't it? The whole sort of setup, um, But that just makes the stories all the more genuine and authentic. It's it's a, it's a great series. And we'll be coming on to that later on.
1: So as we just touched on, we know Joe for playing characters who are sort of roguish and lovable. And Brassic is exactly that. But... He's not only starring in this series, he's also been calling the shots behind the camera as he co-created it alongside David Livingston and Danny Brocklehurst.
0: So with Joe, I think you will get an element of shock value. And obviously we did warn you at the beginning about his language, which is uh, rather brash. Uh, There is no filter with Joe. And what you'll find is he is extraordinarily honest um, with himself, very open And he allows himself to be vulnerable in a way that I think for both of us, we've never really seen in an interview before.
1: Yeah, this truly is a one of a kind interview and we are so excited to share it with you. Uh, So here it is, the first half of our interview with Joe Gilgan on the Plot Twist podcast.
0: Before we properly kick off, I mean, firstly, welcome to Plot Twist, but you partly inspired this podcast. So I I met you. Yeah, you did. So I met you in the in the Camden kebab house for the season one primo last year. Yeah, sorry, and, dude.
2: Yeah, how's it going, man? Yeah.
0: And um we had about a chat for about 15 minutes and you were I think you, you spoke about um the story of the dildo on set with a dog yeah. and you were all absolutely yeah. cracking up. And then suddenly you were talking about vulnerability and mental health and showing that on set, and I was like, oh my god, that was just so, such a great conversation. And afterwards, it was like, we should really do more and actually have a podcast, and
2: here we oh, are. fucking brilliant, man. I'm really pleased. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't remember. <laughs> do you know, yesterday, this lockdown thing, I couldn't figure out whether the shit I'd done that day I'd done that day or if I'd done it the day before. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh fuck me. Because I'd, I'd mopping up. I'd got this severe, listen, and I'm not with her on for too long, but I received a severe mopping injury yesterday, right? I want to really quickly tell you how I fucking did it. You know, when you, fuck, you know, you work yourself randomly and it's like, oh, actually, that fucked me up. I need to have a minute away from life yeah, yeah, just yeah. to just sit on my mm-hmm. own. You know that feeling of, like, if someone talks to me, I might be sick on myself. <laughs> you know, when you, like, when you bang your knee? If you bang your knee really awkward, it makes you feel a bit ill. You know that yeah, feeling,
0: yeah, right? Yeah, I
2: know exactly what you mean. So, yeah. what I did is that... It's going to be hard for the listeners to understand, right, but the action of mopping, if you can imagine, that the, your elbows coming out from behind. Yeah, a bit like a snooker move. Snooker move, yes, that's perfect, yeah. yeah. So I'm in the snooker position, mopping with vigour. It's been at least six months, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, mag, pure magnum force uppercut the fucking kitchen unit. <gasps> right there where the funny bone is. Brethren. Oh. Now, initially, I was like, that's 10 out of 10, ouch, that, right? But I carried it, because I've got the rest of my fucking floor to do. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've, I've only just started, so I had to carry on. But, like, halfway through, I remember thinking, actually, do you know what? I might have really fucked myself up, and it's me wanking arm. I, I mean, <laughs> we've got nothing going on. There's nothing to do. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever tried having a wank with your left arm? Have you ever tried it? It's a nightmare. I'll ter- tell you what, every wank's turmoil. Every one of them. Uh, right, come on, because I'm going to oh ruin my career. God. Ask me some questions. So we can talk Let's about ask you depression. some questions,
0: shall we? I mean, how are you finding... I mean, in all seriousness, how are you finding lockdown?
2: Do you know what? Actually, it's not been too bad. It feels like a bit of a 50-50 split. I seem to sit in the middle, like, where there's days where... I have a great day, and I think fuck me, I really enjoy my routine. And then there's other days where I think I'm just I'm just lonely now, and and it's not, you know, like it's not good. When you've got mental health issues, I've been, I've had to spend a lot of time on it because of the job and moving around. You do spend a lot of time on your own. You don't necessarily know everyone, and when you're filming, so much as you have friends, everyone's fucking working. You know, I might be off, but you're in. You know, it's it's not. Mm. A, a normal job so like mm. you do tend to spend a lot of your time on your own and I've had to get used to that with mental health issues and I think that's something I never really talk about but I'm good at being on my own I'm alright with being lonely that said I'm still fucking lonely and it sucks do you know what I mean so mm. I'm tindering it up a storm not a single match uh,
1: <laughs> I think Tom's the same actually oh, it's mad so how have you been filling your time then during lockdown.
2: All right, so I'll talk you through my routine. I get up, I go to bed early usually now. I get up at about nine, I have a cup of tea, I take my medicine for the day, for, my, for my mental me mental unhinged behavior. I wait on the couch till that kicks in. Because if I do anything, if I get off that couch, I might do something fucking daft to the house. So I just stay on the, stay on the couch. <laughs> Until it starts to kick in. Once, and it does, I feel it happen. I can feel my head balance out a little bit. I can feel life's not as terrifying. So I'll start... I'll, like, make me bed. I'll fucking... I do this, like, really paranoid... Alex Ganley, I'm fucking glad we got an opportunity, sent me under the other day on a first time. He's one of our writers. But he sent me under with facts, figures and statistics. I I didn't recover for about three fucking days, dude. I just, (laughs) honestly, man, I thought, I mean, what's the point in trying to stay safe? So I ended up being really paranoid off the back of that. And I I, I wiped down everything, OCD. I live on my own. I wiped down everything, my fucking fridge, my bloody kettle. My light switches, stupid shit like that. My iPad that I'm on right now for this, usually for wanking. Obviously needs a good wipe. Um, <laughs> I do have, And then I'll have a run, but I've pulled a ligament in my knee, so I can't do that now. I do 200 press-ups throughout the day, and I yeah. eat two salads. I've got a really strict diet, drink loads of water. I've gone really fucking healthy. Uh, in a desperate attempt to not throw myself naked off my balcony. <laughs> I swear to fucking God. Like The thing is, my balcony, not, it's not actually high enough. So I'd, if, I'd just be injured and depressed at the bottom <laughs> and naked. <laughs> I like, oh, wish I'd have done it naked.
0: Oh, well. Anyway. One of the things about you, Joe, when you look at articles online and from when I've met you, like your honesty just comes through straight away. You're extraordinarily honest about it. Every aspect of your life. Has that always been the case?
2: Yeah, well, I think so. Yeah, it gets me in a lot of shit. And I'm, and I just, I've said this a million times, right? But you meet people who they're giving you a version that they think you want to see. And I'm honestly Mm. really just not interested in it. And I feel like I see it a million miles away. I've got, I really love those people who are open, honest, vulnerable. Like, there's something to be said for a bit of vulnerability, and someone who's all right with their own vulnerability, you know, feel like it says an awful lot about you. And I'm, you know what? I'm fucking unapologetic about the person I am. I'm, I mean, I, you know, I don't like me, and that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, who gives a shit? Life's fucking miserable anyway. Who cares if people don't like me? uh, Fortunately, people tend to warm to it. I mean, if you could honestly be a fly on the wall in this flat here... I've got this, so listen, I've got a seagull that comes to visit me, right? (laughs) Honestly, and everyone goes, it's the friend cat.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've got, well, we actually had one and now we've got two. Like, I think two the cats what? in the neighbourhood are talking right. and we keep giving them little tidbits at the door. And yes, there was a standoff between two of them. We've had to, like, take a step back. It's going a bit far. <laughs>
2: encouraging them.
1: It's yeah. like a real life nature documentary. It was it's a massive deal. Yeah,
2: like things come in, it's the small things in life that you suddenly, re- suddenly realise that you're in too much of a rush to notice, you know. Like Stephen this morning... He's brought me a gift this morning. It, like, it, it, he's never done that before, and it's a piece of, um, uh, I mean, it's shit. You know what I mean? It's not... <laughs> can't do anything with it. It's a fucking snapped cable tie. It wasn't so much as a gift as, like, look at this thing. He came to flaunt it. The, the, the ultimate it. Tease. This, Just came yeah. to flaunt
1: it and then flew off again.
2: Yeah. Anyway.
0: Before we... We've got to obviously talk about Brassic, but before we get to Brassic, mm. I wanted to just kind of explore your, your journey getting there and um, obviously, I think, was was it Corey that was your first role in acting?
2: Yeah, that was my first big role, Cory. That's Corey. a big gig, isn't it? Mm. It was a great gig. I mean, I was only young. I was, like, eight years old. Oh, I didn't realise you were that young. I was really young, yeah. man. Yeah, I was a baby. I was I couldn't read and I couldn't write. My behaviour was terrible, and I was sent to acting school as a punishment to... If you want to act the prat, you can go to acting school. And I think <laughs> they, they'd heard... The craft. I'll tell you what it was. I'll tell you what it was. We had a, a neighbour who moved in behind us, Helen. And she said, because I was a problem child, I kept letting myself into her house. She was Scottish. She had iron brew, and I'd never tasted it. So I'd just go and fucking down all her iron brew in a fridge. But she'd catch me every once in a blue moon. She'd just catch me nailing iron brew. And uh she went, listen, Joseph's been in the house again. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry he does that, I'm sorry he does that. Uh, but there's this place, because she worked, she worked on Coronation Street. She was a, a boom operator um, oh, for the right, second right. department. Yeah. So she went, we we get kids in, and they all come from this place, and um, it's this guy who runs it who's really strict, and I think it would probably do him the world of good. So if you want to act the prat, you can go to acting school. The plan was to send me to this guy, David Johnson, right? It's important I mention that name, because that guy whipped me the fuck. Fuck into shape. This and I've got to be careful how I talk about him because I've got a lot of respect for him. But he's um he sort of talks like this, um, very, very strict. Doesn't like being fucked with. You can't call him, so he's you can't call him Dave. My name is David, you'll be bollocked immediately. <laughs> one of them. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super like old-fashioned, the old school drama teacher who will just fuck you up on site regardless of PC. Like, didn't give a shit, like, unbelievable. Terrifying, I used to pray on the way in. I'm not even joking, like, I'd be in the car with my bad-tempered dad, who's having to drop me off again, and just, pr- I'd say a little prayer on the way in, just like, please, please, please don't tell me off. <laughs> um, anyway, so he whipped me into shape, I'd go every fucking weekend, we put on all these different plays. It tends to be a lot of, like, waifs and strays of kids that were there, so I got on with everyone. He was in connection with this agency, which is important to mention, Lane Management, that's now run by Samantha Greeley, who I kind of owe uh, my career to, really. And they let me on the books for nothing. So I got a fucking job in, you know, like, in no time at all. And I didn't give a fuck. I was eight years eight old. Eight years and... old? Yeah, Nice job as well. Man. That's
1: pretty impressive. Yeah,
2: man. I didn't give a shit whether I got the job or not. You know what I mean? I just It's probably why you got it. Yeah, possibly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah, really true. Naturally, it was playing a little cunt that steals things. And uh, <laughs> and I was good at it. And I ended up doing that for three years. And then I'm 11... Hang on. Nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, yeah. I'm 11 years old now. The lady who plays my mum, she wants to leave the show. And my mum and dad in real life are starting to separate and going through kind of a tough time. Dad's starting to drink... And mum is just in a terrible state, you know, with these three Mm -hmm. kids, one of which, me, is fucking hard work, has behavioural problems, you know. Mm -hmm. So the show ends. I'm in secondary school. It's my first year of secondary school. And from that point on, started to come off the rails, like, from the age of 11 onwards. Like, my mum and my dad were good mums and dads, I want to make that clear right now, but I was a fucking problem child. Like, my behaviour wasn't good. So I struggled all the way through secondary school, if I'm honest. College dropped out, got in, back into acting on and off, but was rolling about with some naughty characters. It start, I don't want to say too much about this area in my life, but it, I did do... A, I, was, I was a bad kid. I was up to no good like I was with people that you warned not to be with you know that not I, the I, best influences yeah I was self-destructive and angry at the cards I'd been dealt in life you know I was mm. I, I felt ugly all the time you know I, I, I had bad skin I was at that age where I had a lot of hormones going on oh, and yeah. bad skin and um, I hated my face I hated my hands I hated people who had nice skin nice hands. (laughs) You know, I couldn't get a fucking girlfriend and I wouldn't know what to do if I did. You know, like, so I was just this fucking... Sounds like
1: me now. Just a bit lost.
2: Yeah, 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 me too, man. Yeah, lost. Yeah, my dad was drinking, Mm. my mum was depressed and like, you know, I just, I went off the fucking rails and it was, it was no one's fault. You know, I'm 36 now. You get to an age where you realise that you're, You know, I know, at the time, I was angry. I was angry at my mum. I was angry at my dad. I was angry that no-one cared. And, well, the fucking world doesn't revolve around you. You know, you don't don't get to choose, like... And it's around that age you start learning that. Fuck me, it's a big shock. You know, you're not the star of your own movie. The world doesn't revolve around you. People have fucking lives to live themselves, including your parents. Mm. And that comes as quite a jolt, you know, at that age. At 36, having gone down a long fucking bumpy road, I can now see it for what it truly is, you know. I love my mum. I loved my dad. I'm very, very lucky that I got those two people That you know, was I wouldn't be the person I am. I possibly wouldn't even be sat here having this chat with you right now yeah. if it wasn't mm. for the bullshit. I've got a really itchy moustache, guys. <laughs> it's like a constant thing. I've not had a because shave. Of had to trim it. It's a corona beard. I've let myself go since the virus.
0: I had one the other day, but I started to look like Walter White when I had glasses on, so I thought I can't Yeah, Tom yeah. was sending me some
1: photos of <laughs> yeah. some very ropey facial hair. Yeah, I was like, yeah, just no. take it off. Take oh, it off. Oh, God, <laughs> it went You've got to get rid Joe, of it. Joe, was
0: it in a way that those experiences, obviously they were tough and it, it would have been hard for your mum and dad, but almost it has shaped part of your career now with, with Brassett, because those stories have sort of evolved into into the show itself.
2: Hugely, yeah. I mean, absolutely they have. In, in fact, like, I'm working on other projects as well. And and they've influenced all of those too. So Boracic in particular, you've got to write you've got to write I I don't write, a storyline in my head. So I come up with an idea and I sit for hours and days and days on my own and figure it out i do a little bit of writing a little bit of jotting down when it gets fucking real but the trouble is we're doing everything in your head is it all comes out non-linear so you at some stage i do have to try and and put it in order so like that's when it starts to get real that's when i have to put pen to page i can't type like i have to handwrite everything and then just learn it and tell the story so that's the process, but it's all born out of truths. Like, so everything you see in the show is pretty much real. It's massively embellished for the sake of the TV and not being <laughs> arrested. But there's a lot of truth in that. And I mean, it's particularly when it comes to my mental health and my father, you know, like those two things are, are very, very real and, and and very close to home, you know. They they always say it. You write about what you know. I feel like the can... people
0: people dismiss actors, don't they, as sort of with creative ideas?
2: Yeah, absolutely, they do. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is, right? And this is possibly going to come across really fucking arrogant. I've always known I've I've had good ideas. I, I think like from a younger age, I used to come up with, used to write things that I lived in the woods away from a lot of my friends. I, I don't. I'm not a massively social lad, and I never have been, to be honest. So a lot of time spent taking drugs and and writing stuff down, really, you know? And uh, a lot of some of the stuff has been sort of going round in my head for many years, you know? Like, it's everywhere, like, m- different ideas for different things, but it's all over the fucking place. Like, I remembered one the other night, actually, and I've, like, finished it in my head. Like, I suddenly went, oh, yeah, there's that fucking thing! And just stayed up till half four in the morning, you know, writing like a... Uh, it, it's everyone goes, yeah, it's, that's great, that's great. It's not, it's obsessive, and it gives me an <laughs> achy fucking hand, it's not cool. So, so yeah, so all I need, and I knew that I just, I'm a working class lad, I'm covered in tattoos. This is my personality, it's full on. Like, So a lot of people struggle to take me seriously, but I'm, what I've learned actually in the last six years is that I am not fucking stupid. I'm not stupid, and I've believed that for years and years and years. That's what was drummed into me, the system under which we work in in the educational system in our schools, uh, for my generation, college, fucking work. Like, the people around you and the way that you are perceived as someone who can't read and can't write, like... You know, I truly fucking believe that I was a complete fucking moron. And I'd say it all the time. Well, like, I actually am a moron. Um in the sense that buying stupid shit like ferrets and like Do you actually have a ferret? Well, I'm on the I'm I'm just I'm on the verge. I'm on the fucking I'm on the verge. It's in the of, basket. I'm on the very verge of a ferret. I want to call it sea bass. Oh. I mean, wouldn't it be brilliant? Wouldn't it Why be Why not? But why not have a ferret? Exactly. <laughs> but my mum's like, My mum went, if you get a if there ferret. Was a
1: time, isolation is the time. This is to it. To get a ferret, I think.
2: My mum doesn't want me to have a ferret. She thinks it's a bad idea. <laughs> Sorry, I've I've digressed.
0: So that was the end of part one with the man himself, Joe Gilgan.
2: He's
1: such a character. I told I, you, I, I, don't I told you. I didn't think I expected anything differently based on the characters that he played, but I thought he was fascinating and such good fun and so honest.
0: Bru- yeah, it, 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 we
1: said it before, but it really was a once in a lifetime interview.
0: It really was. I mean, I said to you before, I expect him to be painfully honest at times. <laughs> he really was. He didn't. <laughs> he was.
1: I think what's fascinating and I love it when we speak to people about how they got into acting and his story again is so different to stuff that we've had before so
0: eight years old
1: eight years old he lands himself in a role in coronation street all right for some yes but it's funny isn't it that he he wasn't one of these that sort of dreamed of being an actor he ended up going to drama school because his parents and his sort of advisors felt that he needed some uh, discipline instilled into him and the way you talked about that drama teacher is the way you talk about all good teachers at school. You kind of feared them, and at the time, you just hated them. But you look back and you think respect. God, I have so much respect for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did such a good job.
0: I loved it. Also, we talk about lockdown. What are people up to? They're doing, you know, virtual uh, quizzes, dates, and a bit of fitness. What's Joe Online doing? Online yoga. Online yoga. Yeah. What's Joe doing? Oh, he's just looking at getting a ferret.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Called Seabass. What a great name. I mean, I'm looking at getting a pet soon. I might have to take that as name inspiration.
0: Yeah, that was really cool.
1: Uh, Well, Joe obviously set the scene for us with how he channels some of his inner turmoil into his characters. But amongst the, at times, semi-chaotic and random conversation that we were having, we did get round to talking to him around how he co-created Brassic, didn't we? We did,
0: yeah. And we saw how almost his past and his experiences, all that chaos he had consumed kind of then inspired him as a writer and as a creator of Brassic and there are plenty more nuggets to come including uh, Brown Labs that wouldn't do as they were told on set Um, but we'll leave that for you guys to listen to in a moment.
1: Uh, So I think we should hand it back to Joe Gilgan on the second part of our interview on the Plot Twist podcast. Going back to Brassic obviously being the creator of this show how was it different to be both sort of behind and in front of the camera versus projects before where you've just had a script to learn and you turn up with this is much more sort of your baby.
2: Yeah, it's massive. It's There's a lot of hats to wear that I'm not used to either. And, and you, I felt like the biggest imposter as well. Like, I just remember thinking, you know, because I've got... I'm, I'm sat here ranting about, I am not stupid, I am not da-da-da-da, I'm not this and not that. <laughs> and, and actually, like, of course... I felt that way. Like season one, there's all these departments and things to keep your eye on. More than anything, creatively, I'm steering. I'm not, it's not logistics. I don't give a fuck when someone's in and that this is happening and that's that's someone else's job. But like, it was c- completely beyond me. But just creatively in the direction we're going in, you have to be able you have to do a, a certain amount of steering. You've got to keep your eye out for, for things. And things like levels of performance, things like, you know, often there'll be... In every fucking script, you get... I've had this my whole career. uh, Most actors uh, and actresses and writers would agree that you get there on set and actually it doesn't work. On page it works and it's fucking fantastic. You get there and the elements are fucking with the situation, i.e., for example, like rain or wind, and you have to go through five or six different people to change something you know it's like this big process mm. of like listen it's raining like fuck we need to bring it indoors is that cool with you i've just got to check with blady Blight. who's got to check with blady Blight, and then now <laughs> fucking two hours later and we're running out of time we've got god no we've got a barely achievable schedule every time we're brassic it's good fun but it's fucking hard work so like mm. those moments need to be dealt with quick and because I'm in, a, in the position I'm in, no-one has to go through the chain, really. I just bell up my mates that I work with and go, we're doing this, and no-one ever gives a shit. Like, yeah, so <laughs> They're always bothered that they're, they're always more pissed off that i ruined the jam on toast. Like, Danny will be eating hummus, <laughs> carrots and hummus. I don't want to deal with this. I'm eating carrots and hummus. So, like, yeah, to be in this position where I'm a decider and it's it's fucking mine. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful, humbling feeling. I feel very, very lucky to have it. Um, the crew and the cast that we have work so fucking hard and really, really cares, not just about the job, but about one another. And I'd never have it any other way. I can't imagine doing the show without both cast and crew. But this year, the second year the hats have been a bit easier to wear and I felt a little less of an intruder. And I'm sure, hopefully in seasons to come. But
0: <laughs> well, we can say, can't we? There's we, can, I mean, we, we have, hats. yeah, we've got a season it's 3 been commissioned already, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we've got eight, I mean, that's amazing. Eps, eight EPS this time. So it's really exciting. I actually, it's, it's a funny feeling this feeling capable it's a bizarre feeling you know <laughs> but it is starting to dawn on me very slowly you know.
1: Did you always know that you were gonna play Vinny so when you're going through the writing process was the intention that you would always be in it
2: or no, did you ever consider
1: wasn't. casting someone else?
2: No I was going to cast someone else I was going through when I started writing it I was going through a bit of a mental breakdown I was starting to suffer with really severe anxiety for the first time my anxiety was giving me like quite severe symptoms that I'd, I'd never felt mm. before. It was during the filming of Pride mm. and um, that I started suffering with these weird, like, shortness of breath, not being able to pull in a full breath was a big one. And, like, dizziness. Just feeling this general feeling of piercing fear that I couldn't figure out. Like, I knew it was irrational, but couldn't sort it. Like, it was just so mm. bizarre. I actually thought I had an ear infection or a fucking sign. They had doctors coming, checking me out, because I had all these weird... And there was obviously nothing there. And eventually this doctor came to the flat and just basically said, you're shitting yourself, you need to start taking medicine. So mm. I go home and I'm in a terrible state. I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm like crippled by it, almost agoraphobic. I move into this fucking house with we make quail and I live in the front room of his house. And, um, I mean, fucking hell, I couldn't even go out and buy bloody milk. I was just frightened to death of everything and everyone. But I've been inspired by Dominic West and David Livingstone. They've told me to go away and write some shit. So I come well, back. I to... heard
1: this was because you told him about you'd stolen a Shetland pony once, and he was like, "You should write."
2: I'm a talking about, about that. this shit. Listen, what's he told you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not from him. This was just a <laughs> bit fucking of fucking whoever that is. Doing a fucking
2: mouthpiece need to keep the mouth shut. That's not, that's not how it worked. Uh, I... <laughs> He's like to take the credit for it. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, there were no stealing of any horses. All right. <laughs> Exaggerated week. <laughs> fucking shut up, you. You're useless, you little like, class people, for fuck's sake. Listen. So, so I, I says to Dave, I says to Quayle, who I live with, he's like my best pal. I said, Look, we've got to start writing this thing. He's like, No, I'm not doing it. I work. I'm a fucking builder. I'm busy. I was like, No, it's not a bipolar thing. It is a bipolar thing. I'm not doing it. I was like, It isn't bipolar this time, Dave. Honestly, like they've said that if I do something, if I get it on paper, like, they'll fucking consider the idea, you stupid cunt. Like, you're gonna to have to help me. I can't write. <laughs> Dave's fucking like working his ass off. He's the only one at, I'm the scatterbrain, Dave's logistical out of it in the friendship. So, Dave starts scribing ideas. We start coming up with bits and bats of ideas. We managed to throw together this hybrid book that was halfway between a script, well, and a fucking book. Sorry.
0: Know.
2: Um, <laughs> We send it to David, he goes, well, this is just useless. Like, it's just tape and bits of fucking... Just useless. There's At one point, there was, like, we'd found a piece of um, wallpaper and we'd wrote all... We'd wrote up the walls, we were all on the fucking floor, on this furniture, like, anywhere we... are Because we didn't have any money. Spent that all our money on.
1: creative.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was still... You know, I'm going through all this anxiety, but I'm still taking a lot of drugs. Like, I'm still, like... Met anyone who's a drug addict will know that it is expensive, so like, I'm not buying stationery man, you know what I mean like <laughs> fucking stealing pens from people's houses and that anyway, so we're writing on all this furniture,'re writing on this fucking uh, wallpaper and things like that. Send the book off to dave Dave Livingston. he thinks it's all nonsense, but he's he's found this right called Danny Brocklehurst, uh who says he's He's prepared to. Uh, I think I think we had we had a chat or something. I mean, Danny f- said it's brilliant. He was like, "It's just great, man." Like, I totally, hundred percent get it. I see what you try to do, and it is brilliant. Like, I get it. So, this massive. I remember saying to Quails, "Like, dude, thank fuck for that." That's a, we've been saying me and Dave for fucking months. We just need to find that one person that everybody else respects. And once we've found him, that's it, dude. Like, we'll be taken fucking seriously. Because I know this shit's good. I know it is. I know in my heart of hearts, it's worth knuckling down on. That's genuinely how I felt, you know. Whether that makes me a cunt or not, I don't know. But that's how it felt, (laughs) like... And so me and Danny worked... At at first, we worked very, very closely, you know, because you're building a world. I have this world, this microcosm in my head that I want to create... And you have to try and... You've got to get everybody on board with that. So there's a lot of chatting, Mm. uh, a lot of random voice notes, especially early on in the start of a project. Like, it's not just about where we're going in an episode, it's the whole fucking thing you have to create. Like, as a package, what's going to sell? What are the rules? What do we need to stick to? What will work from what we need to avoid? It's them kind of things you're talking about. Music, fucking everything. So, Mm -hmm. worked very closely, me and Dan, I'd send him these very, very long voice notes, which I've spoke about a lot before, actually, these voice notes I'd send and He'd sit there and he'd always go away and do his own thing with it. Now, what's happened is, as we've gone on, Danny's a fucking racehorse. Like, he just writes super fast. His brain works really, really quick. And what I've learned is actually, toward season two, there was less me and him, season three, even less. So he's he's like, it's better to just let him off, go off and do his own thing. He's, he knows he knows the crack, he's learnt the world, he, he understands what we're trying to create, he knows the rules, he's been there mm. for, right from the start and he just gets it. He doesn't piss about, and actually it's just better to leave him to it. Alex is different, he likes involvement, He's sensitive, takes his time. He's a worrier, Al, which I like about him. You know, you need people on the job that are shitting themselves about their own ability constantly. And I think as soon as you stop... Yeah, they give a shit. Like, Mm. Alex really fucking cares. He cares about all of us as creators. He cares about the show. He cares about his work and the standard of it to the point where it can fucking spin him out. I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning this, but he's a good bloke, a talented lad, and and he quite enjoys, and I love doing that with him. We work very well with each other when it comes to sort of bouncing ideas back and forth. We could be on the phone for quite a long time.
0: Well, we love Brass Egg. We absolutely love the show. Um, we've got to ask you a plot twist question. Um, but before we do, just a couple of minutes... The story about the um the dog on set in season one and the wooden antique. Fuck, dude. Do
2: you want me to do it again? Because I get fucking angry every time, you know. Piss it, I'm still pissed <coughs> off about it. You want to hear it? Yeah. yeah. All right. So the dildo, right? We have this antique dildo. Now, so I've I've had a look at old Grecian dicks, like, um you know, old dildos, things that they found... Fucking Neolithic dildos out there, you know, like, honestly. And I thought, what might be quite nice with this dildo is is for it to be a little bit broad, not quite know whether it is a dildo or it isn't. So, you're like, it looks a little bit like a dick, but it could be something else, you know what I mean? So, like, you've got the audience trying to figure out what this fucking object is. But what turns up on the day now... I don't know what happened, but there was a breakdown in communication. I wasn't shown the images of, these, of this proposed dildo, right? What fucking turns up? It's gargantuan, dude. Like, you couldn't fit it in any vagina or anus on the face... Well, you could, actually. I've seen a lot of porn, and you could fit it. You could. That's not true. But it would be unpleasant. Right. So this fucking dick's outrageous. It's enormous. Got this like galloping horse pubic detailing. Like, what the fuck is blatantly a dick in it? You stupid cunts. That I mean, that is a dick. That's not a, a wonder. What that might be. That's just a massive ivory cock with fucking pubes that eventually turn into galloping horses. Like, what is this? It's you oh, can't. It needed to be functional. It needed to be a functional dildo. This is ornamental. Like, and I'm going, this is what you're getting now. This is what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm fucking furious. Where's fucking Juliet? Do we need to talk to Juliet about this? We fucking bipolar. I'm now going to Christian Bale levels of fury, right? And I'll tell you right now, right? But the
0: dog's meant to bite it, right, in the scene. You've got a dog on set. I'm
2: fucking getting to that. We're, we're not even there yet, right? <laughs> Fuck me. So... Juliet comes down to try and chill me out, that poor woman. Like, she won't come back the next year. I, like, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Like, my temper's terrible. Like, I have these fucking meltdowns. I had one on my own in the flat the other day. <laughs> Just <laughs> fell out with Dyson Uver. It's the only thing my dad left me. Like, this Dyson over and it stopped working. You fucking piece of shit. I had this word with it. that- Are we gonna do this, are we? Are we gonna do this? Is it how we're gonna do it? Like. <laughs> Turned out it wasn't plugged in properly. (laughs) So, anyway, so I'm I'm going fucking mad. Juliet calms me down. Stop shouting about the dick. The dog turns up, right? So we've got we're going to have to film it. This dick I've not mentioned this yet. It's made out of rubber. The reason it's made out of rubber is because the dog has to lock its jaws onto it. We have to have a tug of war. Anyway, so what turns up is this fucking chocolate lab, a chocolate lab, and it had this thing. It did this like weird tick. Oh, is this the dog? She went, yeah, do you want to meet him? Yeah, and the dog went, it looked at me and went, Ah, did this fucking weird seizure thing. I went, what was that then? They went, oh yeah, the dead Dixie chocolate labs, the Dixie, aren't they? I said, so have you read the script? No. Oh, fuck me. All right, so what we need it to do, we need it to lock its jaw, oh, it won't do that, love. Like, straight away, what do you mean? It won't do that because, so a Labrador is bred to bring back birds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 Like, the way, fuck all, like... So the gum line's very soft. The teeth aren't really pointy. It's just so you don't damage the fucking... The fucking fowl you've just blown out the sky, right? <laughs> so this thing won't bite down, she went, because it'll hurt it, you see. It'll really hurt it. I mean, this is a professional... And you spent money to bring it in? You fucking spent a fortune on this thing! This is an actor <laughs> dog off a website. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, God. This God, is a woman... Scary with a fucking bum bag on, full of dog stuff inside, one of them people. But what actually turned up was a nice lady and just a dog.
1: Well, at least you got it in the end. Replace the dog. Well, we didn't. We had to go
2: back and reshoot it. We had to go back. I mean, it costs us fucking (laughs) shit. costs us thousands and thousands of pounds, that kind of shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, look, you haven't read the scripts, you've brought the wrong dog, and now we have to bring fucking 60 professionals from all corners of the UK and all this equipment, rent out a fucking chicken farm because a dog has soft gums and a nervous well, dick. The,
1: repla- the replacement dog did a good job of hanging off the end of the dildo. It so did. we well, got there it, in the end.
2: Even that uh, was a dialogue. So
0: I love it when you, say that, when you tell that story, though. Um,
1: We've just got to get in before our time's up with you. This is the Plot Twist podcast, so we, we like to talk about things which were unexpected. If you looked back in your career so far, what do you think was the most sort of plot twist moment for you?
2: Was it, was it like a turning point a turning point in my career? It was me in Dominic West and David Livingston absolutely it was like i i didn't think i'd i, I thought I'd just, i hate myself I hate who i i can't stand who I, what I look like, my voice, the words I speak for years and years and'm still struggling with it even now you know like i can't fucking bear myself met Dom, met David and for the first time they saw pot- potential in me, you know, whilst going through this terrible, terrible time of worthlessness, you know, um, these two men said, you're brilliant and we want to work with you on this thing. Like, Dom had promised, he said, if you make it, like, I'll fucking do it, man. And he really is, like, I always joke about Dom being a giant idiot. He sent me a video of, um, actually, I better not go into it, you know, them awful videos that your friend sends you for Yeah, sale? yeah, yeah. Like a big poo video. Oh, Oh. it's like fucking eight o'clock. You twat. Not even nine. Let me have my morning. That's what I have instead of coffee. Picture of my friend's morning poo. I don't know why I told you that. Because of the plot twist. Because we're always, I I often talk about us piss fighting around like I just did then and ruined it. But I've explained (laughs) it. Postmodern. But he's a man of his word. He said he'd do it and he did. Like, David Livingstone's a man of his word. When my dad died in season two, my dad passed away whilst we were filming the storyline with him in it. And um, David Livingstone said, I have to be careful not to get emotional here. But he said, um, I said, everyone just leaves me, man. I'm I'm a difficult character. You know, like, people at home will be listening and they'll be thinking it right now. He's like, God, he sounds hard work. Like, and I am. They're right. I'm a fucking pain in the ass. Don't have a load of mates. Like, my family have to put up with an awful lot. Crew do, cast do, everyone. Fucking hard work. And David Livingston, he went, I said, they just leave me eventually, man. Like, I push people away. He went, I'm never, ever going to leave you. He went, I'll never, ever leave you. I'll always be a friend. I'll love you, man. like, I believed it, you know. Uh it's been traumatic. I had a bit of a traumatic child, a bit of traumatic development into being an adult. And and that is a man, particularly David Livingston and Danny Brocklers, I mean, I really, really love them two men. I I owe an awful lot to them. It's completely changed the way I see myself, you know. Like, the way I I perceive my own mental health, the way I see mental health in general. I've said this before, just, just be who you are. Just be all right with who you are. It's enough. It's enough, you know, for fuck's sake. Like, you've got one goal in it all. I'm 36, and it's all passed me by. Like, I've been so sad and anxious. I've just spanned drugs through my entire fucking young life. I fucking forgot half the shit. I got told that I went to a Regina Specter concert the other day after my mates. I have no memory of it, you know. <laughs> I, I don't remember it. I, I, well,
0: we, lo- we love you, dude. We really do.
2: I, I appreciate it. I'm glad someone fucking does. i just
0: <laughs> No, I think you're brilliant. I really do. I think just wrapping up, I saw a clip, um, it was Seth Rogen and Dominic Cooper and those guys, they were talking about um, the preacher, and they just said joe gilgan without question is one of the most interesting guys you can meet and i couldn't agree more agree. thank you thank you so much for coming on plot twist it's thanks, been, for it's been, uh, thanks for joining us thank, thank you, you was... so
1: much guys it's been
2: an absolute pleasure thanks guys
1: So there it was, the final part of our interview with Joe Gilgan. We told you it would be a pretty one-off interview, and I think you can confirm that we were right.
0: He definitely was. I'm so pleased we got him on. So pleased.
1: It's brilliant. And he's our second guest who said that that plot twist is a person. I'm really enjoying this. It made me feel really emotional, him talking about David Livingston and the effect that he had on his career.
0: Yeah, there was no an element of sincerity with it, wasn't there, that... Um... Gratitude. He always said before, didn't he? I was going to get a bit emotional about it, and uh, you kind I of got the answer.
1: I was welling up <laughs> when he said, "You know, I'm your friend, and I'm not going to leave you." Like, what an amazing thing to say to someone who clearly feels like he's a bit on his own in the world. I just thought, yeah, well, I found it emotional. Um, I couldn't quite see on the camera if he was welling up, but I certainly was.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and the other thing was the the creative process and how his mind works and the sort of the chaos, but. Talking to people, how everyone like collaborated together. They all cared about the project. They were working really hard to get the process right. That was really evident to see in there. That's what came through.
1: Yeah, and I think that sort of passion and perfectionism has extended to his role behind the camera as well. So when we were researching him, we read that he meticulously learns his lines. Like he turns up on set and he knows it inside out. And clearly, that extends behind the camera, even to the point of the detail in the dildo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: even that which is a great story
1: I mean it's a brilliant story but it just surprised me that he said you know he knew that he wasn't stupid but this has really confirmed it for him that belief that people have now given him because they've seen his work sort of come to life and and how well that's been received
0: I guess it's almost it's vindication for him isn't it because it's partly his own story it's his ideas and mm. it's him growing up how that influenced it as well so it, it kind of sort of being a success and being Sky's most successful comedy, I suppose it is vindication for him, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and you really just get drawn into that world. And the crazy thing, he's only 36. I mean, he's oh. achieved so much already. i Who knows where he's going to go next, but I'm, I'm excited to see it.
0: We've got years and years of Joe Gilgan to come, and I cannot wait.
1: <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, we can enjoy uh, season two of Brassic, which is coming on to Now TV um, in May. That's season three. Yeah, I know. I am looking forward to that already, and... I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this week and I hope you did too.
0: And on that though, all we can say is thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.
1: Bye-bye.